You know, we live in a, in a very difficult time, and this year has not turned out like many of us or any of us had planned for it to turn out. And we see so much problems and so many dissensions and so much hurt and animosity, and we wonder, is the church still relevant in our culture? Or maybe you sometimes question, is there anything I can do personally in addressing the problems that are plaguing our society? And I believe the answer is yes, the church is still relevant, more so today than ever. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And that yes, there is something you and I can do as individual followers of Jesus to address the darkness that we see in our culture. I don't know if you've ever gone to a jewelry store to buy a, a diamond ring. I remember when Don and I were picking out uh, the engagement and the wedding ring, went to a jeweler and I was looking through this glass case at these diamond rings. And because I was a 20-something-year-old pastor, my budget was very limited on what I was able to afford in purchasing that ring for Donna. And that small little budget pointed me to small little diamonds. And they looked very unimpressive as I looked through the glass case. So I think the jeweler picked up on that and she took one of the diamond rings out of the case and she took a black velvet pad and she placed it on the counter and then placed that ring on top of that dark velvet. And in that moment, that ring that looked so unimpressive down in that case, among other larger stones, now looked brilliant, looked better. It really shone. The, the light was able to... to penetrate that small stone and radiate that light so that that's, that looked a lot better, even though it was still small and maybe not as significant as what someone else would have chosen. And that's always stayed with me, that in the spiritual sense, we live in a world that is darkened by immorality and animosity and hostility and division and racism and hatred and sometimes we can feel very small and insignificant and we don't know what to do to address the problems of society. And sometimes you feel like just giving up and throwing in the towel and quitting and saying there's no hope for our world. And yet that is not true because even though you may be one follower of Jesus, when we dedicate our lives to living for Jesus, our lives can shine forth in a darkened world like never before. And people can see the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life. That Jesus did not come just to give us eternal life. He came to give us a better life. And Christians need to demonstrate that in how they live as they yield their lives to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, though, Christians are our own worst enemies. We, we, instead of living for God and dedicating ourselves to Him and living lives that shine out His glory and the love of Christ, we sometimes go along with the world and we get caught up with the attitudes of the world. The same darkness of morality or spiritual darkness or sin, sin that we see out there, we sometimes have in here in our own heart, in our own lifestyle, in our own practices and people can't see Jesus because they can't see past our own sin and our own spiritual and moral darkness. I think the Apostle Paul was concerned about that when he wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following, to contrast the works of the flesh, what you and I do when we follow just what feels natural, versus the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what God does in us supernaturally as we yield our lives to Him 
And so today I want to talk to you about a message I'm calling Walking Like a Christian. And uh, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. You may want to open up your Bible there. I'll also put the words on the screen. But the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in that ancient Roman province of Galatia. And he's writing to these Christians who have been saved out of paganism. They've been saved out of all kinds of, of sinful lifestyles and, and even sinful religious practices. And he's saying, I know that sometimes you want to go back to that. And I'm going to tell you there's a better way. And that way is by walking like a Christian Yielding to the Spirit of God in your life who lives in every single one of you who are followers of Jesus. God's presence is in your life. And if you will listen to Him and follow Him, you will not only discover you have eternal life, you'll discover you can find a better life. There's a better way to live than just doing what your flesh wants. God's got a better plan for you. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he puts it this way. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now he's referring to Christians. I say to you, you people who name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe there's somebody here that's not a Christian. And this is what you need to hold us to. This is what you need to expect out of us. Paul says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit. He's using the word walk as a metaphor of how you conduct your life, how you live your life. Not only where you go, but what you do when you get there and how you do it and the attitudes and the actions of your life. He's talking about the way you conduct yourself. Conduct yourself by the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you got saved, God came into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did not come into your life just to be present. He came into your life to be preeminent. He didn't come into your life just to be dormant. He came to be dominant. He wants to be that number one spiritual influence in your life. The Holy Spirit of God. As Dr. Tony Evans says, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And he came into your life to be the Lord of your life, to be the controlling, guiding influence of your life. And we ought to wake up every day with the intent, God, today I want to walk by the Spirit of God. I want to live by the Spirit of God. I want to follow the leading of the Spirit of God in my life. I want the Spirit of God to be first and foremost in what I do and how I do it, what I say and how I say it. But this is not as easy as it sounds. Wouldn't you love it if we just said, oh, well, that's easy. Wonderful. I'm glad now that I know. My problem is not knowing I need to walk by the Spirit of God. My problem is in the doing, in actually yielding my life to God's will rather than my own will. And Paul acknowledges that. He says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, the lust, the cravings of the flesh. My flesh is opposed to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says, I've come to take over. The flesh says, I've been doing this long enough without you. I don't need you. I want to do what I want to do. Now, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You, even though you and I are Christians, even though we've been forgiven of our sin when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we still live in fallen physical bodies that have not yet been redeemed. We're waiting on Christ to come back to give us new bodies with new desires. In the meantime... 
You need to recognize that for the Christian life in your body, the flesh is not a playground, it's a battleground. That your flesh is going to war against what the Spirit of God wants for you. The Spirit of God says, here's how I want you to live, and your flesh says, I want to do the opposite of that. Some studies have shown that if you go and paint a a park bench, and even though the paint is dry, you put a sign on it that says, wet paint, do not touch people will go out of their way to touch it because they want to go against the law. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want anybody telling them what they can or cannot do. They want to experience it for themselves. And we all live in these fallen bodies that don't always do what the Spirit of God wants them to do. The Spirit of God says, be more loving. We say, no, I don't think so. Not today, not to that person. The Spirit of God says, be more patient. I'm tired of being patient. I have no more patience to give. The Spirit of God says, I want you to be forgiving, but I want to hold on to my grudge. The Spirit of God says, I want you to be faithful and true, but it's inconvenient to keep my promise. I want to go back on my word. Our flesh wants what the flesh wants. Paul elaborates on this in verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He said there's a war going on inside of you between your flesh and the Holy Spirit of God. Those desires of your flesh, they're contrary to what the Spirit of God wants. And what the Spirit of God wants is contrary to what your flesh wants. They're opposed to each other. He said, well, who's going to win this war? Whoever you yield to, whoever you say yes to. Whoever you pay more attention to, whoever you give in to, if I yield to my flesh and I do what comes naturally, well, that's just the Powell temper coming out in me. If I just give in to the flesh, then I'm going to go against what the Spirit of God wants. But the victory is if I go against this flesh and I yield my life to God, I'll discover a better life, a life that is pleasing to God and is better for me and for others in the long run. And the problem with our world today is not that people who don't have the Spirit of God are living according to the flesh. That's all most of them know. The problem in many corners of our culture today is that people who have the Spirit of God aren't yielding to the Spirit of God. Instead, they're becoming a part of the problem and they're giving in to the flesh. Paul continues in uh, verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Here it is, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. As a Christian, you know deep down in your heart what you ought to do, and you want to live for God, and you want to be dedicated to God. But that war, if you're not aware of it, will conspire against you, and you'll find yourself being defeated every single time. Look at verse 18. But, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul's writing this letter because there's a group of heretics who were teaching behind Paul to Christian churches that he was founding that, yeah, you need Jesus, but it's not enough to have Jesus. You've also got to perfectly keep the Mosaic law. You men, you've got Jesus, but you also need to get circumcised like the Old Testament prescribed. And you've got to keep the dietary laws, and you've got to keep all the, the kosher laws and all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, no, that is not the gospel of Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith. Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled it. 
He took your sin. He gives you credit for his righteous fulfilling of the law. And so he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He said, I'm not telling you to go and live your life by a bunch of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, so that you can earn your salvation. No, there is, there is a law for Christians. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. And by this will all the world know that you're my disciples. He said, the first and greatest commandment is this, that you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is you love your neighbor as yourself. So are there rules and regulations, do's and don'ts for Christians? Yes, absolutely. But we don't try to live for God to earn our salvation. We, we live for God to express it, to show the world the difference that Jesus has made in us. And then he continues, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. He says, you know the works of the flesh when you see them. They're, they're manifest, they're evident, they're plain to see. And he gives us an illustrative list of the works of the flesh. This is not an exhaustive list, but he is going to give us a brief catalog of carnality. He says the works of the flesh are evident. And he begins by listing sexual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He says this is what the works of the flesh looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity sensuality. He's referring to sex outside of the, the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. And he says, this is, these are the works of the flesh. Verse 20, he then moves on to spiritual sins with two words, idolatry, sorcery. We know what idolatry is. That's where you worship someone or something more than you worship the one true living God, or you worship anything other than God. In the old days, they actually had literal gods they worshipped. In our day, maybe not as much in our American culture. But instead of idols, we worship boats and money and approval of people and all kinds of things that are more important to us than God is. And then sorcery, the Greek word is pharmakia. It's where we get our English word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals. In ancient days, it was not uncommon for Drugs to be used in pagan worship in order to get in touch with the deities or the spirit world. In Paul's day, it referred to that, but also just trying to use magic or the occult in order to get your way and to manipulate the heavens to do what you want to do in your flesh. So he's talking about sexual sins and spiritual sins. And then he starts talking about relational sins. He continues, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. It sounds like he's reading from, I would say the newspaper, but did they even print those anymore? <laughs> It's like he's reading the Drudge Report. It's like he's scrolling some people's Facebook feeds and he's describing what he sees there. And he says, we know deep down all of these things are works of the flesh. And all of these things are tearing our culture apart. And he says in verse 21, and things like these. He says, I could go on and on and on and on describing to you the works of the flesh, but... You get the point. 
And he, he continues, I warn you, as I warned those, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in the Greek, whenever he says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, the verb is in continual, active, habitual, settled pattern. And it's not just that if you've ever struggled with one of these, then you're not a Christian. If you've ever struggled with more than one of these, then you must not be a child of God. No, that's not the case. In fact, remember he just warned us in verse 16 that the Spirit of God and the flesh are contrary to each other. There's a battle going on in the hearts and minds and bodies of believers. He's not saying if you struggle with sin, you must not be a Christian. He's saying if you stop struggling with sin and you give in to that sin and you rename it to be something other than sin, and you want everybody to approve of this lifestyle and to say there's nothing wrong with these things, if that's the settled pattern of your life, you're not a Christian. You're just not a Christian. And there are many people in many churches today who are trying to rewrite the Bible and change things that the Bible clearly says are sinful to say, oh, that's not sin. That's why at Celebrate Recovery, I love whenever we get up and give a testimony Uh, Hello, my name is Ricky, and I am a Christian because my identity is not in my sin or my struggle. It is in my relationship with God through faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am a Christian who struggles with. And I may struggle with it all my life. That doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. But if I ever get to the point where I just say, I don't struggle, this is who I am, like it or not, then I need to check up on my salvation. And he says, now let me contrast to you from the works of the flesh to what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Whenever the Spirit of God is at work in your life, here's what he does that you can't do for yourself. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. To sacrificially serve another person, even if they cannot or will not pay you back. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Notice he doesn't use the word happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to you. If what happens to you is good, you have happiness. If what happens to you is bad, you lose your happiness. He's using a whole different word. He's using the word for joy, which means whether what happens to me is good or bad, I can have joy knowing that my God makes all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. And I know that... God is not finished with me. And whatever I may be going through will not have the last word over me. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God can bring something good out of even the trials of your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace, which means harmony between two formally Opposing forces or people. The Holy Spirit of God can do that. The Holy Spirit of God can bring two warring factions together in harmony. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be a picture of the fruit of the Spirit in harmony. That in the church there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free, but we are one in Christ. That He is what makes us one. He continues, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Patience removes that spirit of revenge. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. 
It's to be long-tempered. It's to bear up under the pressure of problems or the pressure of people. Patience. Kindness. Kindness is helping others. Kindness is leveraging your life for the good of someone else. Kindness is going out of your way to show that you value another person, that you see them as someone created in the image of God, worthy of dignity, and you don't mind helping them. You show them kindness. Goodness is a character of nobleness. It's, it's the quality of your life that the average person can never complain about. Even an unchristian, even a, a non-Christian can look at your life and say, I don't believe everything she believes about God or the Bible or Jesus, but she's a good person. And she's good to me. Faithfulness, the ability to be consistent, to keep your word, to be a promise keeper. Faithfulness in your relationships at home, faithfulness at the job, faithfulness with the, 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 the gospel of Jesus. Verse 23, he continues, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and self-control. Don't you wish we saw some of that on the news once in a while? In the streets of our city, some gentleness and some self-control? We need the Spirit of God doing that in our lives. And then probably one of the greatest understatements in all of Scripture. Verse 23, Paul says, Against such things there is no law. What an understatement. You've never seen anyone pass a law. We've got enough love around here. Now you people cut it out. We've got enough joy. We've got enough patience. We've got enough goodness. We've got enough kindness. We've got enough self-control. We don't ever pass laws against those things we pass thousands upon thousands of laws because people won't practice these things. And Paul says, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have anything to worry about. If you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, if you walk by the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you allow the Holy Spirit to have control of your life and your decisions, this is what He will do in you. This is not you trying hard. This is you yielding to the Spirit of God and He bears this out in you. And it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Not plural, it is singular. You don't get to pick or choose which one of these you want in your life. When the Spirit of God has His will and way in your life, He brings this cluster of character to bear in your life on an increasing basis. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect this side of heaven, but it does mean this is what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do in your life. And now you can test whether or not you're yielding your life to the Spirit. Are these qualities evident in your life? Are they evident in your Facebook post? Are they evident in how you treat people at work? Are they evident as you look at politics? Do you see them through the lens of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Paul says this is what the Spirit of God looks like in contrast to the works of the flesh. So how do we, how do we get there? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives like this? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. He says the first thing you need to do if you really want the Spirit of God to have his will and way in your life is whenever your flesh rises up and says, I want what I want. And I know it's not what God wants, but I want to do it anyway. In that moment, you've got to remember something. You've got to remember that when you placed your faith in Christ, you placed your faith in the crucified Jesus Christ who took your sin to that cross. And that sin that you want to give into today 
was nailed to the cross. And you have crucified your fleshly passions with Christ to that cross. Remember the cross of Calvary. And then he says in verse 25, stay in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Don't get out of step. Don't get ahead of God. Don't get behind God. Stay in step. Yield your life moment by moment, day by day, to the will of God for your life. And you will discover the fruit of the Spirit is at work in your life. So crucify the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. And watch what God does. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with our world and the darkness of our world? (laughs) Don't you see? This world needs to see the difference that Christ can make. And while you can't change somebody else out there and you can't be responsible for those people over there and you can't change the past, what you can do is take responsibility for your own life. And say, dear God, I can't control the world, but let the world see the difference that Jesus is making in me. Jesus, you didn't come to just give me eternal life, as awesome as that is. You're not just concerned about life in the sweet by and by. You came to give me a better life in the nasty here and now. And I want to yield my life to you. I'm so pulled to do what my flesh wants and to do what the world does and to treat people like they treat me. But I I want to be the person you want me to be. Can you imagine the difference that will make in your marriage? So I can't control my spouse, but I want to be the person Christ wants me to be. Yielded to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that will do in your parenting or the, way, or the way you look at your parents or how you go to work tomorrow if you can. Go to work if you can. I understand that. As you log into the Zoom meeting, can you imagine the difference this can make in your relationships in our community, in our world, if we become men and women who recognize that Jesus didn't come to just give me eternal life. He came to give me a better life. Let's pray together. After this prayer, I'm going to ask Craig to come up and and dismiss us. Heavenly Father, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we come with heavy hearts because we see so much spiritual and moral and relational darkness in our world. And we sometimes feel small and insignificant and we don't know if we can do anything about it. And yet, you've reminded us today that there is something we can do. We can say no to our flesh and say yes to the Spirit of God in our lives. We can allow you to have your perfect will and way in our lives. Father, you've reminded us that the church is more than just songs and sermons. The church is about the body of Christ showing the world, not only in word, because words are easy, but in deed, that Jesus came to not just only give us eternal life, but He also came to give us a better life. Not that we're better than other people, but it's always better to live for God. It's always better to let God, through His Spirit, have His will and way in our lives. Just always better to have a world of people who are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so God, we pray that today you would help us to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to stay in step with your Holy Spirit so that you can accomplish these things in us and through us. And may it be for your glory.